On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia. Well, it is a bit like war in some countries. We had an email from our... Uh, my son and I had an email from our colleague in the Netherlands last evening, last night. They've run out of the masks over there and the women are in the hospitals with sewing machines making masks out of vacuum cleaner materials. It's been... T- and they work, they work. So it's, it's going to get like that. But the, the thing you said about... We haven't prepared. Well, we, we can see what's happening overseas and where it's going to happen to us. So we do have this time to do a bit of preparation, such as thinking ahead. If we, if we overreact, we'll never know. But if we underreact, we'll know about it because people will die if we underreact. So we've got to overreact. Thanks for letting, uh, letting me speak to you. I hope a few politicians are listening. Well, they usually do. <laughs> Bernie, they usually do for some reason or other because they hear the ordinary people having a word. Uh, Bernie, nice to talk to you, mate, and uh, keep in touch and stay safe. Thanks But would you believe it, they've still got blowies and I think they said that one type wears stilettos. I think that's what he said. Professors, engineers, geologists, facetists, surveyors and speleologists are ringing from the rock on a Sunday morning. Yeah, macker in the morning turns my week around. He picks me up when I feel down. Wait all week for macker on a Sunday morning. It took six weeks to shear six sheep. Try saying that when you're half asleep. And Eileen reckon one sheep started snoring. Doesn't matter who you are. On Sunday morning, you're the star. You're all in Macca's green room on a Sunday morning. I start my week with Macca on Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome to the program. I've just clicked the wrong button. Me my screen's gone. Wherever you are, around Australia, all over the world, uh, nice to talk to you. We're getting a lot of calls, people from all over the world, um, all around Australia, people in lockdown, people arriving back in Australia. It's a difficult time, but uh, as David, the police officer from uh, Ballarat said, keep your distance and follow the rules. Follow the rules. My sister often says that um, that's one of the problems, that people don't follow the rules anymore. Nobody follows the rules. Well, nobody, but you know what I mean. A lot of people decide not to follow the rules. But anyway, um, on the program this morning, uh, we were going to talk about blackberries. Uh, Well, I'm going to try and talk about blackberries. We had black... When I was a kid, we had blackberries in a little paddock next door. We had a house and next door was a paddock, a spare sort of paddock. And it was full of blackberries, and we used to muck around there, make cubby houses and all that sort of stuff in there. But um, the other thing that was, was, when we had blackberries there, we had lots of little birds. We had blue wrens, red robins, spinebills, silver eyes, all sorts, because we had a, quite a big, a big clump of blackberries. And it's a great place for little birds like that and little animals of all sorts to hide, um, unfortunately. That doesn't happen as many. So in the suburbs, many suburbs, the big suburbs, you won't find those little birds anymore. Not because blackberries aren't there, but that's just one of the reasons. No habitat for the little for the little fellas. And I love the little birds. Uh, we might talk about that this morning. We've had a call, we a Leighton call from Tokyo this morning, if you've just got up. Um, said they've had some more outbreaks there. He lives in Tokyo. A uh, guy was out spraying. No, he wasn't spraying. He was just flying to get a bit of social distancing. He says he was at 1,800 feet or something like that. Um, Chris was in Manila. He's been, he, his doctor said, get out of town because, um, yeah, he's got a heart condition. So get out and take your little van, but he's been told to move on by the police. And so he's been told to go back home again. So he, he doesn't, um, uh, 
He doesn't know what to do. And people from all over the place. Maggie was on the Costa Victoria off Rome. She can't get off the ship. Carol is in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. We're talking about New York, which has got a lot of a uh, lot of cases. But she said you've got to you've got to because earlier we had a call from Pam in the Swiss Hotel, and she was complaining that they're all locked down, they can't do it, and there's going to be mental health problems and all sorts of things. That's what she said. But others are saying, look, you just got to suck it up. That's what that's what the nature of the game is. When you look at the death toll and the number of infections around the world. That's what you've got to do. So when people arrive in Australia today from all over, they'll be, they'll be isolated, put into um, lockdown, as it were, for 14 days and uh, see how we go from there. Um, our number this morning is uh, 1300 700 222. Um, and I've been going through my old uh, back pages, if you like. Listen to this. Um, this comes from... Uh, Bernice Fisher, her name was. She's off, and this is from um, 20 years ago. I finally got around to writing to you. We met briefly in Mackay. In the course of our conversation, I mentioned that I wanted to tell you a short story about an Aboriginal lady named Alice from Armidale in New South Wales. This is when we are doing an outside broadcast in uh, Mackay, it was, as I said, 20 years ago. At the time, you said, hang around for an interview but we had two and a half hours drive back to Dysart, where we live, and our two small children were very tired. After being woken up at 5.30 to get to the open air, your open air, and then very squashed bananas in pyjamas concerts, we were tired and ready for sleep. Both Mibu, my boo, uh, it's a girl, and Yarnell, a boy, listen to your show on Sundays, they were five and three, and both were amazed to see the bloke whose voice they know so well. Anyway, here's my story. Alice came to Dysart to be an artist in residence for the state school. I volunteered to have her at my home, being an Aboriginal myself, from Stradbroke. We had lots of things to tell each other. Alice showed me a book on New South Wales Aboriginal culture, and as I flipped through the pages, mainly viewing the photographs, I came across one of the La Perouse Gumleaf Band. Well, I thought, here's my chance to tell Alice something relating to New South Wales. I commenced asking her, did she know you and uh, your program and how one Sunday you got a call from a lady at Kempsey who wanted to tell you about the Burnt Bridge Gumleaf Band? Well, there I was relating a story to Alice. Alice sat and listened, and when I had finished, she said to me, well, I'm from Burnt Bridge. Well, Macker, I nearly died. We had a good laugh about it, and then Alice told me that all the Aborigines from the Armadale era were rounded up and put on Burnt Bridge. She spoke of the mission life and how she remembered the Gumleaf Band. One thing Alice told me that will always stay with me is the day they opened the mission gates and told the people they were free. Alice said the people just didn't know what to do. They just looked out past the open gates. I just couldn't imagine that feeling. Could you? No, I could not, Bernice. Thanks for letting me share this with you, Macca. One thing I must say, that after listening to the, um, to the Juni open air and hearing Nancy Hill from Henty say that she misses the smell of the salt air... It brought tears to my eyes because of all the smells that you have, nothing is better than salt air for me. I miss it. And until you move away, something as simple as that means a lot to you, says Bernice Fisher. That was a lovely letter. There's so many lovely letters in our back pages um, that, um, yeah, I'll share them with you. But that is a lovely letter. And gum leaf bands were part of the part of the... Part of the whole deal. We don't have a lot of footage of gum leaf bands and uh, a lot of... We've got some sound but uh there you go they were a, a thing of the past uh 1300 700 triple two we'd love to talk to you g'day this is macca oh hello macca my name is tonya and i'm in melbourne i was just listening to all your calls this morning as i have done for many weeks and months 
And I just wanted to ring and say that it is such a shame that people will not take warning and take notice of what our governments and what our leaders are saying to us to stay home and keep everyone safe. We're all hurting at the moment and um, in our lives we've all got different things. My son is a respiratory physician. My daughter-in-law is a respiratory physiotherapist and my daughter is a chiropractor and they're all working to keep people well and safe. And if people keep on flouting these things, it just makes me so upset and there are so many people who are hurting in other ways. They've lost their jobs, but my son and my family are at the firing line here and it's just like waiting for a tsunami to come and deluges and people just have to do what they're told. That's, and that's the problem, isn't it, Tonya, that, um, as I said, my, my sister, who's a bit old, she's my older sister, I always think that older, older siblings are used to telling you what to do. She was always, <laughs> she was always telling me what to do. But, but, but she says that nobody, when she says nobody, she means some people don't want to take any direction. They don't want to do the right thing. And, and this is especially a time when we're going to need that, isn't it? It is, and I've heard of quite a few people who have got off planes and got off ships through friends of friends, that have said, oh, it doesn't matter, I can walk outside. Well, they can't walk outside and they can't do normal things. We're lucky to be able to go and buy our food mm. and we're lucky if we can get out the front door and get a breath of fresh air, but that might all change. Yeah, exactly. And there are people like who are stuck on ships overseas who can't even get home. No, we've had quite a few... And they're in cabins too. Yeah, we've had quite a few calls of those people on, you know, the Coral Princess and the yes. Costa Victoria... Yes. And that lady was lovely. She was playing games and making stories, and you've got to do. Life you've got to do that. But I really feel for, as you say, the physiotherapists and the and the nurses and doctors and all the people who are working in hospitals and these sort of places. I mean, they're really at the front line. And and uh, when you see pictures of what's going on in Italy, for for example, and people in corridors trying to be, I mean, it just must be carnage and chaos. It must be terrible, and it's just like we're waiting for that now. And Jeff's shed in Melbourne has been taken over as an emergency respiratory setup. Everywhere they're setting up respiratory and emergency clinics to help people, and I just don't know how they're all going to manage. I think they're just so amazing. And we've had the bushfires with the firefighters and, and the people doing wonderful things there, and now we've got our medical people and all the hospital workers, etc., and all the other people who are out there, like the people in the supermarkets and the people who are collecting our rubbish. They're all... They're all doing a marvellous job and to be inconvenienced for a couple of weeks yep. out of your life when other people can hardly, work, you know, hardly think of where they're going to get their next dinner. They mm. don't know where they're going to live. I mean, really, I think just a little bit of inconvenience for the better good of this world and our country yes. is a good thing. And we had a call too from, uh, as I mentioned before, David. He's a, he's a police officer in Ballarat and, and he was saying, you know, exactly what you're saying. But imagine his job, you know, see, see people oh. standing around talking to one another and doing, yes. you know, when they know it's not. So he's got to walk up to them and say, look, and they say, oh, you're a, you know, you're a fun police sort of person. But that's their job. But, but he shouldn't even have to do that. Everybody should be at this time especially, you know. Absolutely. The policeman yesterday was doing his job and he was spat upon. I mean, how, how absolutely shocking mm. and we should be totally ashamed, really. Yeah, exactly. Tonya, nice to we talk. Need to, we, know, we need to support these people and think of them. Yeah, we oh, need thanks, to. Thanks, Macca. And support, we're supporting our, ourselves when we do this too, everybody. That's right. Yeah, good on you, Tonya. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Um, and it was interesting, uh, we had a call earlier this morning from Peter in Invergordon. He was he was tell, telling us about a bloke called Joe Carmody, who was an engineer who worked at SPC and um, it was doing engineering things for SPC, the fruit factory, and I've just got the pile of emails which just come in. Thank you, ma'am. Um, 
but he said they're making on the on the road out of town. They're making uh, surgical masks. The army's there, and they're making surgical surgical masks, uh, caps, and gowns in Australia, which is really wonderful to to see because you know as most people have said, our manufacturing ability. See, if you had cars and stuff, I mean, GM in America have been haven't they been you know, masterminded to say you're going to make um, respirators at GM at General Motors, but we don't have that opportunity now with our car manufacturers because all that expertise and the people who work there, all gone all gone um, stupid, I think, a stupid decision but anyway um, on the line I have uh, a, a, a pilot, Sydney pilot, this is a marine pilot, his name is Michael Kelly uh, he's off the coast, well he's not off the coast but he's often off the coast because he's taking go, taking um, uh, the trip out to a or maybe a cruise ship, but mostly um, container ships off the coast. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Maka. How are you going? Yeah, good, good. Um, lots of how many how many boats would be off the coast of uh, Australia? You reckon? Oh, I think there's around twenty to thirty cruise ships at the moment. <laughs> really, yeah. that many? That many? Yeah, they're um, they should be carrying passengers uh, around the coast, New Zealand, the islands. But if there's fires, they're um, Pretty much drifting, waiting for this to end. And they'll have to stay. Will they have to stay there till till it ends, or what's the story? Uh, well, about this time each year they head back to Alaska to do the Alaskan season, or up to China to run out of Asia. So the cruise companies are scratching their heads, wondering what to do. Um, I'm sure they want to get back to business, but sadly, on board is. Oh, up to five to fifteen hundred crew on these ships, so there could be fifteen thousand crew on these cruise ships, Jeez. scratching their heads, and, and hopefully they don't have the virus. Well, exactly, and and uh, ap- apart from that, I suppose there's, there's uh, container ships coming in all the time. Yeah, they, they're still coming. It's a lot slower than what it was, but they're, they're still coming. And that's our main concern. I'm a member of the Port Welfare Group here in Sydney. And what we're finding is uh, the, the container ships, tankers, there's no shore leave. So what that means is when the crew come into, say, Port Botany, normally they'll go up the shops for a couple of hours, go get a haircut, go for a walk, go buy toothpaste, deodorant, the, the necessities. So that's that's banned. And what's worse is um, if they've finished their 10-month contracts, which a lot of them do, they simply can't go home because the borders are closed. No, it's it's a strange time, isn't it? But um, and we've had calls this morning from people on on cruise ships, and uh, they're just cruising, going to you know, wherever they're going, heading to Fort Lauderdale or whatever, or they can't get off the boat, and they tried to get off in Brazil, and they tried to get off here. But um, it, it's just uh, must be. It's very concerning for people. But I suppose you just got to dig deep. If, as long as you're alive and well, and nothing's happening to you, if you if you're locked down, well, you you've you're in front, aren't you? Really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so our job is to try and get phone cards out to the ships because communication's number one for the seafarers. A lot of them are worried about their families in, in India, in Italy. They're, a lot of them have got elderly parents. And when you get on board these ships, we're the only ones allowed on board and um, they're all wearing masks and gloves and, and staying two metres away from us. But they just want to talk to someone. They just want to talk and 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 we do our best to, to get them the communications they need. 
even they're starting to run out of toothpaste and deodorant, so we're going to stockpile that if we can get it because mm. um, we're limited what we can get. But we're, we're trying to, to get toothpaste and bits and pieces for them. And um, good old Sister Mary and the Mission to Seafarers, they, they can't go on board these ships anymore. So um, the crew, are, they just want someone to talk to. Now, most of the captains of these ships, where would they come from? Are they... Um, probably, uh, probably 80% Eastern European, Filipino, Indian. Um, mm. As you know, I haven't, we haven't been on an Australian ship in, I think it's six years now. Haven't, there's no Australians, only about 10 Australian ships left, which, um, we need to question, especially in, in the island. Like in, this. this is in the island nation. The island nation, <laughs> there were more, there were more ships in the first fleet than we have currently today. Which, which says says everything, like you just said about manufacturing. Um, once we lose these ships, the skills are gone. Um, it's the Maritime College; it's on its knees at the moment. All colleges are, but um, it'd be great if we had an Australian tanker to carry the oil around the coast and not rely, because we're relying on 100% foreign ships to bring the goods in. And um, yeah, it's really sad. It is. We we we're very short sighted, and when something like this, maybe something like this, will cause a, a, a rejig of a lots of things that we do or, or haven't done in in Australia, Michael. I don't know, but maybe it's cause for cause for people to sit back and think about how we do things, how you do things, and you can't. I don't think you can rely on the rest of the world. I don't think you can. Yeah, it it, it just goes to show how much we rely on China for all our goods and and. Um, we, as you said, we need to sit down when this is over and, and develop a plan. Yeah, Michael, you're still enjoying your job. It's it's pretty, it's lovely to go out and get on in normal times, get on boats and meet people from all over the world and see all those containers coming in. It's mind blowing, really. You're used to it. You're used to it, of course. But when I see one of those container ships, I think, my God, look at this. Uh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I love meeting other people, talking to other people. Um, even on my days off, I'll I'll look at the internet and see where what ship what where the ships are around the world. It's amazing the Queen Elizabeth. It's anchored off Gladstone, and um, it's anchored in the middle of about forty bulk carriers. So that's an unusual sight. Mm. So there's tw- at least twenty. Did you say at least twenty um, cruise yeah. ships off the coast of Australia? Yeah, I've counted. I know there's there's ten off Sydney. There's Three in Melbourne, probably four in Brisbane. Uh, there's quite a few off Fremantle. That's that's what I know. I can see, and and if you look in the Caribbean, um, Royal Caribbean have their own islands, so they have about ten of their ships anchored there, <sighs> and and it's good because the crew can go ashore to that island yeah. and just get off the ship, lie on the beach, go for a swim. Yeah. But, but here off the coast, here the, the crews are contained on in there, in the crew cabins, and they're not allowed in the um, passenger area because they don't want to contaminate that area. Michael, nice to talk to you, mate. I'll, uh, Always, Macca. Uh, good to talk to you. I'll come out for a ride in one of your boats one time. Yeah, you're most welcome. Yeah, we'll take you out in the middle of winter. Oh, thanks. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Macca. See bye. you, bye. G'day, this is Macca. Good morning, Macca. It's Peter from uh, Invergordon uh, ringing up to say how proud I am that 
they're making these surgical masks in Shepparton. Uh, this um, Joe Carmody was a man that designed all these things. They're running three shifts on them, and they've involved the army to help back it up. It's who, brilliant. Who was Joe Carmody, mate? Tell us quickly. He was an engineering man. He he, he made a, a lot of uh, pneumatic uh, equipment for SPC Canary. Yeah, he was a brilliant man. Yes. And the he fact- could make anything engineering-wise. And the factory uh, is still there, or is this SPC is making them, or with the Army's help, or what? No, this is, this is made out on uh, New Dookie Road. It's in a, a, a special uh, large shed there, yes. And Joe Carmody's the man, eh? He was. He's passed on, but these other people have taken over this business, and he was making them years prior, but someone bought his business and and still kept making them. Yeah, all your hats, your surgical hats, masks, gowns, all that sort of thing is made. Isn't that good? Good on you, Pete. It's great to talk to you, mate, this morning. Well done, Macca. Love your show. Thanks, matey. Bye. Hello, Macca. This is Brad. I'm calling from Mannheim in Germany. Uh, G'day, Brad. Uh, How's things in Mannheim? Well, I'm in a much better situation than Pam that you just spoke to. I'm I'm, I'm not suffering from coronavirus, so I'm not locked away in a hotel room or anything like that. But um, here in Germany, it's very serious. I I just looked at the current numbers. We have over 54,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. And uh, as of, you know, very recent numbers, uh, almost 400 uh, fatalities, 400 deaths from the disease. So uh, it's it's very serious here, and uh, we've had a pretty stringent kind of lockdown where everyone's supposed to stay home if they can um, for over a week now. And Brad, are you doing? What are you doing in Germany? Tell me. And and are you locked down? Are you staying in your house or? I'm not staying in my house completely because we are allowed out to to exercise as long as you uh, stay uh, away from other people, preferably one and a half metres. Uh, And to answer your first question, I'm a scientist. I work as a researcher at one of the technical universities here and I work on clean energy research and and chemistry, actually. Uh Um, And how long have you lived there? In Germany for two years. I was in the UK for three years before that. I worked at a a university in London, um, and so I left Australia in 2015. Before I left Australia, I used to be a lecturer at uh, Monash University in Melbourne Uh in chemical engineering. So how do you feel about... um, I suppose you're used to it. We spoke to a young... um a young exchange student last week. She's uh, she's from Gawler in South Australia, but um, and she's uh, she's gone over there for a year, and all of a sudden she's landed in the middle of COVID, and so she's uh, with living with a family, and they're doing school online, I think, in Germany. And by the way, she said that the kids in Germany are about two years ahead of, well, certainly her, um, in terms of what they know. The kids, uh, yeah. So that was a bit scary, but uh, we hear lots of well, things about I, I, Australian education, yeah, yeah. don't we? Macca, I can, I can sympathise with with the younger folks. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 40 myself, but as a young fellow, I, I did go and live abroad as an exchange student. And, um, you know, when things go wrong and you're living abroad temporarily, you do very much want to be able to get home. Um, so uh, this is, you know, I consider Germany my home now. So um, it's not a huge issue that I can't 
travel to Australia at this time. Um, but it, it, it does bother me a bit, you know, because uh, if something happened to a close family member, I still have a lot of family there in Australia, uh, it would be quite horrendous if I couldn't travel back at short notice uh, to see them. Yeah. On the school front, all of our schools closed two weeks ago. So I've got two children, uh, one six years old, one is nine years old. Um, so we've been homeschooling them for the past two weeks and it is very hard work. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, I'll say. Um, yeah, I wouldn't like to be, um, if I was, yeah, temporary basis. That's why Pam in the hotel and whenever you get locked down, you're not used to it. No, certainly Australians aren't used to it. We can just roam and do whatever we want to do. And so that's the, that's the problem. I think there's, uh, other, other races of people who are more, like in China, they're told what to do a lot more. Australians don't want to be told what to do. And that's one of the problems, I think, with, with our society. Nobody wants to take any notice of orders or anything from anybody. No, 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 we, we don't have to do that. Um, so that's one of the problems with all yeah. of this, I think, Brad. Yeah, but there comes a time, Macca, when people really have to sit up and listen. And oh, of course, of course, that's what I'm saying. matters and things that are going to impact on people's lives, whether they feel like it or not, or whether they're used to listening to instructions or not. Oh, yeah. I'm, it's very I'm, important that they do follow these guidelines. 100%, 100%. I'm just saying that that's... Uh, you, you look at it's a cultural modern thing. life now, and uh, nobody nobody takes any notice of rules or regular. Well, not nobody, but you know, <laughs> it, they tend to just say, "Oh no, no, we, we'll we'll do it our way." Um, which and, and Mac, that... Mac, I I understand what you're saying, but but that's a stereotype. So here in yeah. Germany, many people have those stereotypes about Italians. People say Italians never listen to rules; they don't take notice of what anyone says. But uh, when things got very serious there, they had a severe lockdown situation, and and the Italians have stuck to it very rigidly. Um, but and, it's really uh, it's really cut a swathe through in Italy, hasn't it? It's truly tragic. It is absolutely profound. Uh, I, I listened to the news at the beginning of your program, and actually they said there that they had 890 deaths in the past 24 hours yeah. in uh, Italy. Is it ten, uh, is and it, that was slightly down. Is it is it 10,000? 10, 10,000 dead, I think. In in look, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the the total number that they have had so far, I've actually got the very latest numbers right here in front of me. They've got 12,300. Uh, oh no, no, 10,000. And 23 uh, is the current number of deaths uh, in Italy. Brady, listen, uh, uh, I've got uh, got the news coming up now, but it's great to talk to you. Uh, Keep in touch and keep listening. You're listening online, and and thanks for your call, Brad. My pleasure, Mac, and thanks for having me on. Good on you, mate. Bye. There you go. G'day, this is Macca. Hello, Ian. Yep. Kerry Richards speaking from Merino Country in Queensland. Hi, Kerry. How are you going? Yeah, good. And just thought we'd better let you know that we're um, um, making Merino masks, face masks. When did you start doing that, Kerry? Well, <laughs> funnily enough, in January we had um, Dr. Dimity Dornan come to us, who she's from Bionics, Queensland, wanting masks for her grandson who... Um, had allergies and sensitivities and we actually developed a mask with her and um, then all this hit. Wow. <laughs> so so we sort of have been doing it for a while. We've been working with um, Dr. John Fraser, who's the head of the coronavirus response team at Prince Charles and he's, I mean, he's just been fantastic, but he's just saying get people wearing masks. There you go. So, so, 
So how's you had to tool up for that? Especially, is that hard to do? You got engineers and stuff there. Is that hard to do something like that? And- uh, what well, not for us? What we've been what we've been doing is working with our fabric and what we can do with what we have available. Um, but what we are doing is putting on staff at the moment, so uh-huh. to make and and we're working with our mechanics and we're working with the the, the scientists that. University of Queensland as well on our fabrics, so it's all pretty. So, so Kerry, um, what do what do they look like? Are they thick? Are they thin? Um, is it? Uh, no, no, they're they're fairly thin. As one, as someone from North Queensland said, he's he's a farmer up there. He he bought six hundred for his staff. I thought you were going to say for his sheep. Yeah, go on. No, no, for his staff. <laughs> he said it looks like a it looks like a bra for his face. <laughs> 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 well, it's, it's lovely to hear that we're doing things like that, uh, Kerry, isn't it? And how many do you turn out a day or a week or a month? I mean, oh, we're doing about a thousand at the moment, but mm. we, we're just gearing up. And a, we're, a thousand, we're what, a week or, or no, a day, a, a day. day, right? Yep. But we're just gearing up. But they're they're not like the medical mask. They're not a P two mask, and they're not a medical mask. But they are offering a barrier. Yep. But um. We're, we're, we're just working with state government and federal government and waiting for directions from them on a whole lot of other issues. So what we're lucky is that we have production capacity. Yeah. Lucky we're still manufacturing here. Yeah, it is. And uh, I spoke to Peter this morning from down Shepparton Way and um, they're making sur- surgical masks and caps and gowns, I think, <coughs> excuse me, just out of Shepparton. Um, and it's nice to hear that we see we we're far too dependent on on uh, overseas China specifically, but everywhere is. I think that was the the surge in Trump's thinking that um, they were just sick of. Uh, and how did all that happen? So you know, <clears throat> I think our our manufacturing ability has been compromised over the years, Kerry, as you'd know. And you to stay in business, someone like uh, you, Merino Country, would have you know you're facing competition from. And everybody knows it, cheap labour, all that sort of stuff. But it's just wonderful, wonderful that you can do that, Kerry. And the same with the people in Shepherd and there doing that. The army's involved with that, with that down there. So um, it'd be nice if we were self-sufficient in a lot of things, Kerry, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And I think we've been sort of talking about that with government for a long time. And um, I know not only our company, but a lot of other companies in the textile and clothing space have been asking for a change in policy mm. government policy you know by australian first there must be there must be a change after all this Kerry. there must be a change in all sorts of things but but certainly that i mean it's just ridiculous and yeah you know, that's what everybody's talking about now but you know you don't hear it from uh, you don't hear it from people who you want to hear it from. You know, politicians often, you know, they, you know, it's no time now, I suppose, to be talking about that. But by gee, there needs to be a big change in what and way way we do things and uh, and border security, all those sort of things in Australia and manufacturing. I mean, we need to be able to man- manufacture things like this. When, when it hits the fan, we need to have people who are, can easily gear up. Engineers and stuff can get a factory and say, okay, like at General Motors, Trump said, Listen, you're going to make um, respirators, and that's what they're doing. Absolutely, and it's so important. We've been saying that to the powers that be: is that you let your big, say, defence contracts and police contracts go offshore, then you lose your capability of your smaller businesses here in Australia. And we work with knitters, dye houses, you know, the mm. transport industry, mechanics, and. Um, it just makes a big difference if we can keep capacity here and expertise 
that when something like this happens, we're right. And I mean, luckily, we are sort of in a position where we can gear up really quickly and we're used to working with government and being able to produce big quantities and quickly and with high quality. And I guess that's, you know, that's put us in a good position. And we've, we've kept that um, angle for years that we will always stay manufacturing here in Australia. Kerry, uh, it's uh, a breath of fresh air um, through the through the mask, of course. Um, <laughs> not, not, <laughs> exactly, exactly. A not, merino mask or yeah, a cotton one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice to talk to you, Kerry. Good on Thanks, you. Thanks, Ian. Keep, Stay well. Yeah, good on you. Bye. Oh, dear, oh, dear. When I was in Orange the other day, we'll take a break from Corona for a minute. Uh, when I was in Orange the other day, I bumped into a bloke called Rod Holcomb. And... Uh, he uh, he's written a book about um, about the natural environment, and he's uh, well. I'll tell you the story. Come and listen. This is this is the story. This is Rod Holcomb. I was sitting in a coffee shop just the other day, as you do, and I noticed uh, another bloke sitting in the coffee shop. And the lady who owned the shop latterly bought him out three bags of stuff. And I asked, I said, "What's?" She said, "Oh, that's coffee grounds. That man takes coffee grounds home, and thereby hangs a tail on him in his garden here in Orange." His name's Rod, as I said. Rod, g'day, how are you? Welcome to the program. I don't need to ask really what you do with the coffee grounds, and you get those every day. Well, five days a week, yeah, and there's about eight or nine kilo of it. All plants like it. So it's, I had it tested. It's, it's high in potassium. It's an old Italian market gardener's trick. It's not a new thing at all. It's actually got every nutrient in it that the plants require bar nitrogen. Can we stop the... Shut up! Eli! So to get plants started, blood and bone, then not, uh, the coffee grounds on top. But the only thing I know that's better than that, a lot of years is better than that, is cow manure, fresh cow manure, to get the response from the plant. So all plants like it. Natives are all the same. Really. They all like a lot of food. I certainly wouldn't be able to have a garden at this stand as well as producing a whole lot of plants in pots because it's high in potassium and potassium is very good for flowering, fruiting parts of the plant as well as the plants overall. Um, so it builds them strong and robust and you keep plants flowering in pots for long periods of time using coffee grounds. The only other substitute for that is ash and ash is too hard to get. So coffee is an essential part of the operation. There you go, there you go. Nothing's wasted in this world. Well, that's right. And I, I get about a, a milk crate full of food scraps from the, the same restaurant every day. I take the meat scraps out and give them to the dogs, which they very much like. Everything else goes to the pigeons. Pigeons are quite generalised feeders once they're used to it, and they go right through it and clean it right up. It amazes me that when we don't feed food scraps from restaurants to pigs and chooks. You know, it's a great way of getting our greenhouse gas production down. Well, I think they're looking at that more and more now, aren't they? Food waste, they're recycling it, making it into food for pigs and animals and all sorts of things. When I was a kid, they used to feed all the food scraps go naturally to the pigs, which seemed to be on the outskirts of town, and they sort of stopped that for some reason. I, I, I've never been able to work out why, but certainly it's better than sending it off to the tips, but I suppose the ibis and the seagulls and everything that lives at the tip like it too. I'm in the suburbs of Orange. I'm talking to Rod Holcomb. Rod, tell me your Orange you always lived in Orange? I know, I've lived here about 16 years, but the family's been here for over 30 years. I used to work up north on the cattle stations and stuff like that. I seem to have had this lifelong obsession with the bush, and I studied horticulture when I was 21. I've been studying the bush ever since. You've done a book called A Guide to Regeneration of the Australian Bush. What's that all about, briefly? A lot of it's about things that we shouldn't do as well. Proper environmental restoration, the first step is to put the logs and the rocks back across the site. And they also keep the place warmer and they keep it uh, warmer in the wintertime and cooler in the summertime and massively help the growth of your plants as you're going to stick around them. It's about creating thickets. 
thicket's a place where the, the wildlife can go where we can't see them. That's what they want. The best plant to do that with is actually the blackberry bush. And all of the, the plants, you know, the willow is a highly useful plant. Governments had willow planting programs here in the late 70s into the early 80s. And at some stage they stopped them. And that was quite a significant mistake because the willow is a highly useful tree. And apart from the fact that we got aspirin from it, which is first synthesised by the Germans in the 1890s, every Australian has used willow or something from the willow in terms of aspirin, as well as the fact that it's edible for all stock and is also a very cooling plant. And the only thing that's wrong with it is it uses too much water. But all plants are like air conditioning units in that the hotter they are, the more water they use. And to reduce their water usage, you shade them and you basically shelter them, which is taking the, get the sun off them and the wind off them. And when there's willow along a creek, that's actually a very good starting point to restore the creek in a real way because the willow massively helps the plants that you stick in and around the willow, idea being to middle story the willow. It's actually got nothing to do with machinery at all. If you're going to restore a site, if it's got blackberry bush there, if it's got briar, if it's got hawthorns across it, it massively accelerates what you're going to do because of the shelter provided by those plants. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.